Hi, this is Tom Capone with StoryCorps, and I'm here with my very special guest, Francine Purcell. Hi, Francine. Hi, Tom. Welcome to you. And once again, this is coming from the Oceanside Library, and I would like to thank again the Oceanside Library for allowing us to tape these storybook segments from their beautiful facility. Just a reminder to our listening audience that our mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. So having said that, Francine, mm-hmm. welcome once again, and thank, thank you. you for agreeing to be a part of our conversation. It's my pleasure. So Francine, why don't you just uh, give our listening audience just uh, basic background information about yourself, where you live, uh, family situation, and where you grew up. Just get us started that way. Okay. Um, I was born in uh, a hospital in Manhattan. My parents lived in Brooklyn, as so many of my generation did. Um, And we moved to Oceanside when I was six years old in 1954. Uh, my parents, it was the first home they ever bought. Uh, previously, they'd lived in apartments. Um, and we live on Moreland Avenue, which is near the border with Baldwin, uh, right across the street from Parsonage Creek, um, which overflowed and flooded our home in Sandy, but that's, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, I'm an only child. Um, my husband and I, my husband is Joseph Purcell. Um, We bought the house from my parents in 1977, and we expanded it a couple of times over the years and remodeled, um, and we raised our two sons, Jason and Matthew, in that house. Uh, Jason graduated from Oceanside High School in 1997, and Matthew graduated in 2001. Um, My father was a school teacher. Um, He taught in Brooklyn mostly physical education, but also filled in for other classes when teachers were absent. Mm -hmm. My mother was a clothing buyer for Allied Purchasing. Uh, uh, Daytime dresses and housecoats was her particular specialty. Uh, So I grew up with two full-time working parents. We had a live-in housekeeper when I was young, uh, in fact, until I went away to college. Uh, Her name was Nancy, and she lived with us for most of the week. Um, and she uh, took care of me um, while my parents were working. Just an aside to this, I'm married to a Nancy. Yeah. And when I met, she said, I don't know any Nancys, but I have to say, my life is full of Nancys. My secretary, people, <laughs> the reading teacher in our school is Nancy. I mean, I'm just connected to so many Nancys, mm-hmm. and yet you're telling me again of, of another Nancy. Indeed. But I digress. Mm-hmm. Francine, let me just uh, go back to, you, you shared a lot to begin with, but let mm-hmm. me just go back to um, what you said. You moved from Brooklyn yes. and you came to Oceanside. How was it that your, your family located um, or, or, or eventually wound up in Oceanside? Um, well, of course, when they were looking for houses, I was very young. Um, I was six when we moved into the house. Um, I don't remember all the other houses they may have looked at. I do remember when we visited the house that they eventually bought. Um, And what I remember about it was that the driveway wasn't fully paved. It had a lot of little pebbles in it. And I just was fascinated with that. I wanted to get a rake for some reason and and rake the pebbles. I thought that would be a lot of fun. 
why they particularly picked Oceanside, how they picked Oceanside, I really don't know. I think um, they saw that perhaps the neighborhood we were living in was changing. Uh, they wanted to own a home. Um, and the suburbs were certainly a very popular place to go on, on Long Island in, in those years. Um, I'm sure they looked at any number of houses in, mm -hmm. in other locations, but that's our house is the one, the only one I really remember being with them when they saw it. So you've been in Oceanside your whole life? Virtually my Virtually whole, life, whole life, since I was six. So um, looking back, um, are the, what are the things that you recognize now that are, that are major changes to our community over the course of uh, this time? Um, we lived very, one thing was we lived very near something called the Peace Farm, um, which was at the confluence of Brower Avenue and Harold Street I know it in was. Oceanside. And when we moved in, it was a little farm. Uh, now, of course, it's, it's all houses. Um, but it was a much more, um, certainly less populated place then. There were more housing lots around um, in my particular neighborhood. Around the corner was a place called the Oceanside Sanitarium um, on a large piece of land that now has, I don't know, 12 or 14 houses on it. But um, I <laughs> I remember that it, it, there were, it was a very spooky place to us when we were children. We thought there were all kinds of stories about who was in the sanitarium, um, were they people who were mentally ill, people said every once in a while they could hear someone, women screaming from the sanitarium. I still don't really know who was there. I'm guessing it was probably people transitioning from hospitals before they could go home, or, or maybe there was some mental illness, but certainly nobody was giving us tours. Um, and then, you know, about 25, 30 years ago, the property was sold and the sanitarium was torn down and now it's a bunch of houses. So those are the kinds of, of changes that have happened um, over the years. Um, progress, I suppose. I, I suppose, I, you know, I grew up not far from where you were talking about also, oh. and I know exactly that, that white sanitarium mm -hmm. that you just described. Surrounded by huge hedges, so you couldn't really see very much. And we used to go there, my friends and I, on our bicycles, and we would, and there was, there was a driveway that went along the back of the sanitarium. It went, you entered on Harold Street, right. and then it exited on whatever that cross street, Fur Place maybe, I'm not sure yes. what it was. Yeah, well, Fur or Allen maybe. Or Allen, yeah. and we would dare each other to ride our bikes through the back of the right, sanitarium along the place. driveway, and it was very scary. And you're right now, there must be a dozen or so huge homes uh, where that sanitarium and was there. And across the street on Harold Street, there was another big piece of property, carefully wooded, one home on it. It was there for years. Um, then the owners passed away, and I guess their heirs sold the property, mm -hmm. and they have just finished building seven homes on that property. Um, and they're putting in a cul-de-sac. I think I read in the Herald that it's going to be the first new street in Oceanside because it will actually have its own name. Mm -hmm. um, and those are also some pretty big houses in an area that um, 
you know, everybody complains about the traffic and mm -hmm. parking and all of that, but yeah. we're going to have some new neighbors pretty soon. Well, that's, that's a wonderful thing also, though, mm -hmm. new neighbors. Um, so, Francine, what can you tell me about uh, your childhood growing up? What memories do you have of, the, of being a, a child growing up in Oceanside in the community that you just described? Mm. Um, well, I started in Oceanside uh, in school in second grade uh, at school one, which no longer exists. Um, and I didn't initially when I was younger, I don't remember having a whole lot of friends. I did have one best friend um, in elementary school named Iris, and, and we were sort of together all the time on the weekends. Um, but I was a little on the chubby side, and, and I was young for my grade and probably a little bit obnoxious, I don't know. But I got picked on, as many kids often are when they're younger. And then I, I met my three best friends when I was uh, 12, and, um, and that was a, a life that's been a lifelong friendship. With all three. With all three, well, one unfortunately is mm -hmm. deceased, mm -hmm. but uh, we called ourselves the gruesome foursome. I'm not quite sure why, <laughs> um, but you know we were inseparable all through middle school and high school. So you met at the end of your elementary experience, or at the beginning of middle beginning school? Beginning of middle school, I would say. I was about twelve. And were they from uh, different parts of, of Oceanside, or also from? Uh, no, different parts. Mm -hmm. uh, one lived. Uh, on Harrison, uh, right off Long Beach Road, across from what used to be the Oceanside Movie Theater, which mm -hmm. we don't have anymore. Um, one lived on Merrifield um, Avenue, and one on Waterview, which was right near East Rockaway. Mm -hmm. So we were, we didn't know each other in elementary school because we didn't go to the same schools. One of the uh, great things about <coughs> the middle school in Oceanside is that it brings all of the kids together from the six elementary schools. Yep. So I, that's just... Uh, and, uh, and of course then there was only one middle school. Right. Now there are two, so everybody went to to what was then called the Oceanside Junior High School on Castleton well, there, Court, I guess Well, there were two, and now there's, there's one. Well, there's yeah, one. I guess because yeah. they closed right. Castleton as a middle school. Um, were, were there any teachers that um, influenced you in, in a very positive way? Um, yeah, I don't, I remember my third grade teacher in particular, Mrs. Mizell. I liked her a lot. Um, and, and she was a very warm, warm teacher. And um, I don't remember a lot about elementary school. I do know I had one teacher named Mrs. Holler, mm -hmm. and she did. <laughs> a lot, um, and a teacher named Mrs. McGurl, I think was my sixth grade teacher. Um, but I don't remember too much about teachers until really middle school and high school. That's mm -hmm. when I, you know, I had a, because you had different teachers for different subjects, and obviously you liked some subjects more than others. So in, so so in high school, or even in middle school, <clears throat> Who were the teachers, or who was the teacher who stood out, and, and what was it about him or her that, that okay. really helps you to remember them the way, the way that you do? Well, one for sure was Mr. Raymond Sobel. He was social studies teacher. Eventually, he became the chairman of the social studies department at the high school, mm -hmm. which I think at some point he 
kind of was sorry he accepted because it took him out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And he really loved. He missed it. He missed. He really missed teaching. And um, my friends and I would often go to visit him in his office and just just sit and talk. Um, he was a, a wonderful teacher and a, a really wonderful guy. He really liked students. He loved teaching. Um, and he was always happy to have you come in and, and sit and talk about what was going on in the world or your life or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, a major influence in my high school years was um, Barry Kaplan. Uh, he started at Oceanside when I was a senior, mm -hmm. and he was in his early 20s then. And he was our theater teacher, speech and theater, and that ended up being my major in college. Um, so I was very interested in, in the theater experience in high school. <clears throat> I, um, I acted in the senior play. Which was? My senior year, it was The Man Who Came to Dinner. Um, and then we did Brigadoon as the spring musical, and Barry asked me to be the stage manager, which I did. So every, virtually every lunch hour, I would take my lunch and go to Barry's office behind the stage, and we would work on plans for the musical or just talk. I was 17, he was maybe 23, so not that much older than mm -hmm. me, but he was already married and, and had a son. Um, but that experience and, and getting to know the other students in, in the, the theater area, none of my three friends were, particular, were in that particular world. Did he introduce you to that, or was that something that you... Oh, I was already very already interested were very in theater. Interested. Yeah, I had, um, I had done some... Um, some acting at um, the Oceanside Jewish Center at, at Avoda, mm -hmm. pardon me. Um, I acted in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn and um, a couple of other shows when I was much younger, 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And at that point announced to my parents that I was going to be an actress when I grew up, and they were like, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was not, not their ambition for me. Um, so my interest in, in theater and, and was sparked at a very early age. My mother um, used to work with a lot of uh, clothing manufacturers in her job, and they would get us tickets to, to theater in, in New York. So uh, theater and ballet, and, and so I did a lot of going to theater when I was young. And you continue to have a passion for theater? Oh, absolutely. I still love it. I, you know, I, I see as much theater as I can and can afford. We'll come back to that in a couple okay. minutes because I would like to hear what you've seen and, and what mm -hmm. your thoughts are. But um, you graduated from Oceanside and mm -hmm. went away to college? Yes, I went to the University of Michigan uh, in 1965, graduated in 1969. Are you a Tom Brady fan? Well, that's tough because I'm also a Jets fan. Okay. <laughs> but I have to confess that if the Jets are not playing the Patriots. Okay. Because then of that I, connection to then the I University kind of, of Michigan? Well, he's also very good looking. And <laughs> and he is incredibly talented. And I have a, um, a great regard for people who are superb at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so I have great respect for the Patriots. And as long as they're not playing the Jets, I'm very happy to see them win games. 
I have to say that I, I know several people who went to the University of Michigan. Really? And I've never met people more loyal mm. to their school. Well, it's a wonderful university. I've never been there, but I yeah. someday. It's a wonderful place. So you were a theater major? There? I was. Mm-hmm. And talk about that experience, about your four years there. Um, I loved the university. It was... Um, it was wonderful going away to school. I have to say I'm, I'm very grateful that my parents were supportive of that. Uh, initially, when I was thinking about colleges, I was thinking about Los Angeles, and that was a little bridge too far for them. But Michigan was within reasonable reach. Um, uh, I ended up going there because in talking with my guidance counselor, I was looking for th- for theater programs, mm-hmm. and theirs had a good reputation. It was also uh, well regarded generally, academically. Um, and it was such a huge university um, that it, it, it presented a lot of opportunities, um, a lot of things you could do, a lot of concerts you could go to, and clubs you could join. But because I was within the theater community, I was sort of in a small mm-hmm. college within this larger context, which, which gave a lot of security. Well, it was the best of both worlds. It was. Um, I never felt lost there, mm-hmm. um, no matter how big the place was, because I had my theater group. And, and um, I started off in, uh, in the dorms. Um, back then, of course, uh, girls had curfews. Boys didn't. Uh, I think the theory was that if the girls had to be back in in the dorm, then the boys would just go home because what would they be doing out by themselves? Um, But I I asked my parents to to get me out of the dorm. Uh, I was supposed to live in the dorm until at least junior year, but I got released from dorm life in the middle of my sophomore year because I had rehearsals Mm -hmm. for shows. They often went late. Uh, getting back to the dorm on time could sometimes be difficult. They weren't in close proximity to each other, your dorm and mm, the theater? No. We w- my dorm was up on what they called the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there could be dress rehearsals that would go quite late. Um, and so I was given permission to leave the dorm and, and move into a, you know, a shared apartment. Branson, I have to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Did this become your career upon graduation? No, unfortunately it didn't. Um, when I graduated in 1969, I really, you know, I was very, I loved theater, and, and but I, I just somehow didn't know how quite to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had played in college, I had played a lot of character roles. I wasn't a, an ingenue. Um, but in professional theater, when you're 21, you're pretty much going to be an ingenue, and that wasn't what I was. Um, and I finally realized that, <laughs> it's a little story, I, a cousin of mine who lived in L.A. Uh, married a woman whose father was a professional actor, a uh, British actor. His name was Ad- Abraham Sofair, and he was a character actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was visiting one time, when I was there, I was maybe 13 or 15, and he was at my cousin's house, and he was this very imposing man. And, you know, he found out, he was told that I hoped to be an actor, and he said to me, 
would you die if you couldn't act? That was a very, <laughs> very big statement to make. And I, I think I realized when I was in my early 20s that no, I wasn't going to die if I couldn't I'm ready act. ready to make that kind of a commitment no. to it. No, um, to, you know, not being able to afford a place mm -hmm. to live. I, you know, to try to be an actor in New York and live on Long Island and commute mm -hmm. to the city wasn't going to work. Um, but I, <laughs> I have actually my whole working life um, worked in media. Mm -hmm. I worked initially for WABC television uh, out of college. I started as a receptionist and became a secretary in the sales department um, and then moved into audience research uh, initially with news and then went on to daytime television, primetime television, late night. In what capacity? Uh, doing surveys, um, doing uh, written surveys for audience to find out what they liked, what mm -hmm. they didn't like. Um, and I also became a four ABC focus group moderator, uh, which I think, you know, my years of acting and, and that experience mm -hmm. came in very handy. I'm sure it did. Um, I was uh, I was a good moderator and I enjoyed it. Um, talking to groups of, of women initially about what they loved about ABC soap operas and what they didn't like so much, and then when I moved into prime time, doing prime time soap uh, focus groups. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, ABC was eventually purchased by a company called Cap Cities, uh, and then Cap Cities was purchased by Disney. And a Were year, you still with them? I was time? still with them. Mm -hmm. um, I left about a year after Disney took over. Uh, I left in the, at the end of 1997 and went to work at a market research firm on Long Island. Mm -hmm. I had been a client of the firm, and I ended up uh, becoming a vice president there. It was called Marketing Evaluations, and they are known for Q-scores, which you may have heard of, uh, which measure the popularity of uh, actors, actresses, newscasters, musicians, all kinds of personalities, mm -hmm. as well as television programs. Um, and I worked for them for uh, 17 and a half years. So I really worked in two places. What a career you've had. Uh, yeah, I, I worked for um, a total of about uh, 46 years and retired at the end of June of 2015, just before our grandchildren were due to be born. How was retirement for you after working for 46 years? Wow, I love being retired. <laughs> there was no transition for you? You know, um, I had been thinking about it for a while. I retired when I was 67. Uh, it was kind of perfect timing. Mm -hmm. um, we had rebuilt our house after Sandy, um, and my husband really spearheaded all of that. So he was essentially retired at that point, too. Uh, we knew that our grandchildren were coming in early August, mm -hmm. um, and they lived down in Virginia, northern Virginia, and we wanted to be able to go and see them as often as we could, and um, and we have. We've, we've gone down to Virginia virtually every month since they were born. That's a wonderful thing. It is. Yeah. We stay there for, uh, at fortunately, my son's house because mm -hmm. they have room for us, mm -hmm. and um, we're generally there for a week to 10 days each time we go. Well, um, 
my wife has three more years or so before she retires. Mm. And being retired myself, I, I can't wait for that time where we can spend time together in the way that you and your husband are doing now. Absolutely, and to travel, because that's the other great love, mm -hmm. is travel. You know, driving around Oceanside, there's still vestiges of Superstorm Sandy. Absolutely. You're back to where you were, and you were able to... Um, we were able to, we had sufficient flood insurance, mm -hmm. thank goodness, um, that we were able to redo our house. We didn't have any structural damage, but uh, it's a ranch house, so mm -hmm. the entire house was flooded with about two and a half to three feet of water. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to leave the house. We were out for about six months before we could move back in. St were you able to stay fairly locally? Or yeah, we, w we were so fortunate. Um, the first few weeks, um, actually, we stayed with family uh, who had a, uh, a, an apartment in, um, in Queens, in mm -hmm. Kew Gardens. So we stayed there for a few weeks, the initial few weeks. Um, after that, we moved in with friends of ours who lived in Baldwin, mm -hmm. and we were there for a few weeks. And then other friends of ours uh, who lived in an apartment in Long Beach, of all places, but you know their lobby was flooded, but mm -hmm. their apartment was okay, and they were able to, the building was able to be livable by uh, early December. And they winter every year in South Carolina. And they were leaving for South Carolina. They weren't gonna be back until May. So we moved into their apartment, and that's where we lived while the house was being rebuilt. Um, and we moved back into the house uh, on May 1st of 2013. Still, as I said before, driving through Oceanside, there are still many homes that you can see have not recovered from no. the storm. There were a couple in our neighborhood, um, one that has just finished being redone. Um, uh, and is for sale and is now for sale. Um, but it, it was such a devastating time. Uh, not only, I mean, my, our whole neighborhood, people's homes were, were flooded. Most of our neighbors are uh, not in ranch houses, so mm -hmm. they could sort of live in their house while the lower levels got rehabbed. But um, the whole neighborhood was, was devastated one way or the other. Uh, we had people who had to move out because they didn't have flood insurance mm -hmm. or insufficient insurance. Right. Um, and it's, it's, I would say our neighborhood is, is back to normal. It's, it's okay now. Uh, a couple of houses got raised, not many. Mm -hmm. I think we're all whistling past the graveyard maybe, mm -hmm. but every June 1st we kind of hold our breath mm -hmm. until the end of November yeah. and then you know, yeah. hope that it doesn't happen again. Well, we, we can only hope. Yeah. Um, Francine, let's shift gears just a little bit. Talk about your husband. Where did you meet and how long have you been married? And mm. uh, my husband, Joseph, uh, was born and raised in Billings, Montana. He came to New York in the early 70s. Uh, he had a, a fellowship at a school called Toby Coburn, which was for fashion and advertising careers. Uh, he won a fellowship there, so he drove his 56 Chevy mm -hmm. cross-country um, and, you know, lived as an impoverished student in the city. You know, he shared, met a couple of people, guys in New York, and mm -hmm. I think they initially shared a one-bedroom apartment with three of them. You know, yeah. that's all they could afford. Um, 
And then he went to work at a couple of different department stores doing merchandising, uh, and then segued into media advertising, into print advertising, um, mostly trade publications, uh, not consumer books particularly. Why that transition? He was always interested in advertising. Um, and I think what happened in the, the department store world, uh, while he was still young, uh, he was working, I guess, at uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, and then he was at, um, um, at uh, a couple of other stores, and they decided to start opening on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he was going to have to work on Sundays, and um, he was not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Catholic. I am Jewish. He's Catholic. He um, goes to church. He's um, involved in his church, and working on Sundays was just not something he was going to do. So he got a job in, uh, started getting jobs in advertising, and he'd always been good at selling ads. He was, uh, when he was growing up in Montana, he sold ads for local department stores and stuff, and he was really good at it. Mm-hmm. He won awards for selling. Um, so selling advertising was something he really loved doing. He loves people. He loves the social aspects of it. Um, he loved being able to get around and drive out or to customers. I don't think you can be a salesperson without loving the social aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, you really that. have to like people yeah. and like engaging with people, um, and um, he's still that way. Um, and so that was his, his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, the print world has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the magazines that he worked for went out of business because print was mm-hmm. was a difficult business. So um, by the time we both retired in 2015, it was the perfect time. So, but how did you guys meet? Ah, well, I had a uh, a friend uh, who lived in my apartment building, and she sang opera. Um, it wasn't her career although I think she would have liked it to have been, but she was a very good singer. Mm-hmm. And um, she was singing in an amateur opera production in Germantown in, in Manhattan. I don't remember the name of the opera now. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband, who was at Saks Fifth Avenue then, was in their choir. And one of the other young men in the choir was a good friend of his, and it turned out he was singing the male lead in that opera. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we both went to that opera that night to see our friends perform. Um, interestingly, my husband was supposed to have a date that night. She was living in um, one of those female residences only where men could not go up to the room, and he got there to pick her up, and he called upstairs, and she said, oh, I'm not ready yet, I'm not ready yet, and she kept waiting, waiting, and it was getting later and later, and finally he said, I can't. And he left and just went to the opera by himself. Turned out she had dropped her contact lens down the sink and couldn't find it, but she couldn't, didn't tell him that. Um, so he went by himself, and I was with a, a female friend, and we met that night, and um, we've been together ever since. It was that was, today. yeah, that was in uh, 1974. All because of her contact lens. That's right. How did you find out about the contact lens? I think she she worked with him, oh, at, right. and I think she. Uh-huh. She must have told him afterwards. And and he shares your love of the theater? He enjoys theater. He enjoys movies. Not He's not as avid mm-hmm. quite as I am, but he does love to go to theater. 
Um, yeah, but he does share my, our love. We, we both have a love of travel, which is you know, something we do now that we're retired as much as we can. Is there a, a pattern to your travel, like once a year, once every three months, once every six months? I mean, mm. Have you fallen into a pattern yet? Or, not or really not? a pattern, um, but we've done a couple of, of things that, that, are, that we really enjoy. We've discovered uh, we had done ocean cruises mm -hmm. uh, over the years, and those were fun, but we have since discovered river cruises, Viking river yes. cruises. One day, my wife and I. <laughs> you must. Uh, we did the first one. The first one we did was it just before we retired mm -hmm. in 2015. We did their tulips and windmills. So that was Holland and Belgium, mm -hmm. which was just wonderful. And we met a, a lovely couple from Toronto with whom we are this spring going to take our second Viking cruise. They've taken several, but this will be our second. I, I've heard that from a number of people where they've met a couple on their cruise ship, mm -hmm. and they've maintained a relationship and, and repeated that experience on other cruises. Absolutely, also. it's and you know the river cruises they don't they're not four thousand passengers. There's under two hundred passengers, mm -hmm. no kids, no one under eighteen is allowed mm -hmm. to take the trip, and it's you know there's no rock climbing walls and right. all of that, but right. that's fine. So the ability to kind of meet and get to know other adults of your general age group and mm -hmm. interests is, is much greater. And um, that was just a wonderful experience. We can't wait for our trip this spring. Where else have you been? Uh, when I, well, I started, personally, I started traveling to Europe uh, right after I graduated from, high from college. Mm -hmm. It was my parents' graduation gift to me. Um, Basically, it was two weeks anywhere I wanted to go, and I went to England. I figured I spoke the language. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> um, so I went to England and Scotland, um, and, you know, that was, that was wonderful. I, I kind of look back on it amazed a little bit because I was only 21, and I went by myself, and it wasn't on, like, an organized tour. Mm -hmm. I just kind of was doing my own thing. What did you learn about yourself from that experience? I imagine well, you, you did learn something. I did. I learned that I was, I could be pretty resilient. Um, you know, in, in what way? Well, you know, in those days, we're talking about 1969, mm -hmm. um, there was no internet and there was no cell phones. And there mm -hmm. were, so the travel agent I used had booked me into a hotel in London for my first night and then sent a telegram later on asking to have my my reservation extended for mm -hmm. like two or three more days. When I got to the hotel, they said, well, we got your this telegram, but we can't accommodate you tomorrow night. We have no rooms. And I was, what am I going to do now? I'm, I don't have a place to stay. I'm I, and they said, you know, after that, you can come back, but... Bordering on panicking? or no, A not. little bit, a lot of panicking. Um, went to bed in my room that night, very like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And the next day, they were very nice at the hotel. They called around to a couple of other places and helped me find another place to stay, um, which I did, and, you know, and, and then came back to the original hotel, and um, I wanted to go to Scotland, um, and I... 
I had to make train reservations and, and to get there on my own. Um, and I discovered that I could travel by myself. Mm -hmm. And I could go around London and find my way on their right. their tube system and and go to Buckingham Palace and, and the Tower of London and all these wonderful places. And I could be by myself, and it was fine. Um, so that was empowering, I think, to know that I could, I could do it on my sure, own, sure. even at a relatively young age. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, that sort of adventurous spirit has been imparted to our sons. Mm -hmm. um, they travel a lot um, for business and for pleasure and um, have gone much further afield than I have, but, um, but they're not intimidated wherever they go. They'll find their way. They know what to do. and um, So that, that was something I learned. I also learned that I, I loved Europe. And um, I've been back to different places in Europe many times over the years. Um, I, I don't know what the fascination with Europe quite is. But it does have an allure for me as well. Yeah, in, in, in a, a kind of allure that is not, that I don't feel. For generally, I you know I'm I'm sure it would be exciting to go to China or to Japan, but it doesn't Asia doesn't mm -hmm. hold that fascination mm -hmm. for me. Um, is, is there a particular place in Europe that you've gone to multiple times? Well, I've been to England three times. Mm -hmm. I think I've been to France a few times. Um, I've been to Italy and and Austria and Germany on different trips. So when you when you've gone Spain, back to England. Three mm -hmm. times, you've said. Did you try to get to all the places that you'd been to, or did you try to uh, explore other places that? that yeah, um, I I traveled. Yeah, I traveled see. differently the other couple of times. Uh, I went back to England actually the the year after, um, and this was in an organized tour, mm -hmm. um, where you got your airfare and you got your hotels and your breakfast, and then you were free to go wherever you wanted. It was called a getaway tour. TWA, if you remember that airline, sponsored that. And it was a, um, a week in, in London, a week in Paris, and a week in Rome. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to know a couple of other like young... That's honeymoon. That's what we did. Uh, <laughs> it was wonderful. I met a couple of other young women my age who were friends and traveling together on that trip. Um, and so we did lots of stuff together. Um, I did get to some different places, and of course I hadn't been to France or Paris or Rome before, mm -hmm. so that was all new and, and wonderful. Um, and then the third time was with my husband, <laughs> and we started in London, and he had never been, so we did some things that I'd already done so mm -hmm. that he could, and then we rented a car to go to the countryside, to the Cotswolds. <laughs> and I, I did not drive the car. He drove the car <laughs> on the wrong side right, of the right. car, the wrong side of the road, and my job was to kind of follow the road, and when he was about to turn into the wrong lane, yell, no, Joe, <laughs> other lane, no, you have to, so I kept him, I was the co-pilot, and I kept us from, mm -hmm. you know, going in the wrong direction on the wrong road. Um, the Cotswolds were wonderful, seeing the, the English countryside was, mm -hmm. 
was just terrific and, and staying in bed and breakfasts and that kind of thing. Um, so that was, that, was, uh, that was a great pleasure. Francine, I, I, we're, we have a couple Ooh, minutes left. Okay. And before we um, finish this conversation, which I've mm -hmm. thoroughly enjoyed, by the Me way. Me too. Um, let's, let's go back to the theater. Mm -hmm. You had talked about how you love to go into the city mm -hmm. and, and take in shows. And, yep. and I'm wondering if uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is one that you've seen yet. I have not. Um, I've read, of course, wonderful things about it. Mm -hmm. uh, the last show I saw with my son and my husband was uh, The Lifespan of a Fact mm -hmm. with um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe of um, Harry Potter right, fame. Right. Um, very topical for the times we're living in, and all the discussions of fake news and, mm -hmm. and things like that. That was, that was a wonderful experience. That was a great show. Um, we saw uh, Hello, Dolly! with uh, um, Bette Midler, uh, which was delightful. Had you ever seen her before? Um, not live, mm -hmm. no. I'd seen, you know, Hello, Dolly! the million years ago, um, probably with Carol Channing, actually. Um, but to be able to see her in it when she came back to the show mm -hmm. the second time, right. that, was, that was a wonderful experience. Um, there, are just, uh, there are just so many shows I'd love to see. And, you know, theater used to be a lot less expensive than it is now. So you kind of have to pick, pick your spots. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always something that, that we look forward to doing when we're not in Virginia visiting right. grandkids. It, it's, a, it's wonderful having it at our fingertips, really. We're so well, close to, to the theater. And there is also Theater 3 in Port Jefferson mm -hmm. that does wonderful productions. We've seen several of theirs. There's a new theater that just opened up in Babylon, Babylon Village. Mm. Um, the Argyle, I think it's called the Argyle um, Playhouse, which I've heard wonderful things about also. Might be something to mm, look into. Yeah. Um, but we're very fortunate that we are very close to uh, such a, a great resource. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it. you know, living close to New York City is a, is a gift. Francine, uh, I, I do have one more. Uh, mm -hmm. question for you. Maybe we can end with this. Mm -hmm. y you've shared a lot about your, your experiences growing up, school, um, traveling, your career, everything. Um, is there, looking back now, if you could impart to any one of those who are part of this listening audience mm -hmm. um, some advice, something that you've, you've learned from your life experience, is there something that you could impart to I think I've learned that as one of the things I've learned as difficult as it sometimes can be to stand up for yourself to confront a difficult situation it's always much easier to kind of be afraid of, of confronting and afraid to speak up and, and I've kind of learned that I just sort of have to say to myself Fran get over it make that phone call, talk to that person, don't be afraid not to be, I'm not saying to be aggressive or to be nasty, but 
never be afraid to just stand up and deal with the situation head on. Mm -hmm. And don't worry about being popular because being popular is not really very important. Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Francine, I have it's to tell you again, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. And, and we really could have spent another hour easily on hearing your, your life stories. Well, but thank you um, for being a part of this. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. It was good to meet okay. you. And I hope you enjoy your retirement as thank much you. as I, I'm enjoying mine. I'm going to take you know, uh, lessons from you and how I approach mm -hmm. my retirement. I, worry too much about, oh, how am I going to fill the days? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. My husband is very busy, very, very busy man. I'm not very, very busy. And it's whatever your rhythm is. And, and uh, I think my wife is going to make sure that I'm busy. <laughs> but but I, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate that advice. Thank you, Francine. Thank you. I mean, really, to be able to sit